Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to What Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the undisclosed fee of the football podcast world. I'm Tom Reed, so I'm joined by the usual group of cobbler supporting miscreants that make up the wallet crew. First up, it's Andrew Andy Bodfish, who's been enjoying a day in the sun, I should think. How are you doing, Andy? Hello, mate. Yeah, not bad, thanks. Yeah, had a nice drive into Northampton this afternoon for the first time in, in months. What's Northampton like at the moment? I haven't been in for for ages, is it? You know, the, the usual wasteland it is? Or? Uh, yeah, there are a lot of disturbed people around, aren't there? Yeah. Um, so, I, so, it's not changed much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Andy, last week we were talking about the famous Basque speciality, the Calimocho, which is basically Coke and red wine mixed in a plastic bag, of course, which is like, it sounds amazing. So in sort of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in celebration of that, I'm going to ask everyone on on the podcast to make up their own drink, which is an alcoholic drink. It's sort of a soft drink. The weirder the better. Have you have you got one you can serve up to us? Yeah. Um, again, it takes me back to um, you know the the good stroke bad old days of um, pining around someone's house. And is it yeah something called a vodka float? Anyone oh, heard of this? No, it's a real thing. So, isn't it? but yeah, so it yeah, so it's. Um, a sort of tumbler of of coke you right. get a tea towel um and you cut it's almost like a physics experiment okay um and yet you you sort of dip the uh tea towel um sort of into the into the coke i mean people who are scientifically minded will know all about you know the fractions of this but right. uh, and then you just sort of pour pour vodka onto the tea towel you know it somehow filters on top of and into the drink and in the end you know like when you've got oil on top of water there's a clear layer it doesn't mix yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's, ba- it's basically that so i mean any any old idiot can try it and it works let me tell you if you sort of pour it down the tea towel correctly i really hope someone tries this in between <laughs> now and next week to report back because i'm not making it up um you know uh, me, me and a group of close friends can attest to this um some of them are sadly not with us anymore but um <laughs> oh, it works it works it's an unusual drink um, okay. just 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 mixed differently we'll put the uh we'll put the recipes up on the twitter you know people yeah. can make let's ones. do it i think it's going to go down anyway. that one sounds Price actually vodka float. <laughs> vodka float okay so vodka that floats. one sounds 
that one sounds fairly believable, but also yeah, fairly deadly. So we'll go with that one. Martin, what is yours? I know you. you let's not cast aspersions, but I know you, you know your way around uh, the Jun's cabinet, don't you, Martin? So what is you? <laughs> what is yours one going to be? <laughs> well, funnily enough, I probably know know my way around beer and wine, but spirits tend not not to be my thing. But even um, better, it's. Oh, absolutely. I'm quite happy to talk about things I know know little about. I think the podcast is um, quite a great vehicle for that for myself. But um, I I was giving this a little bit of thought and there was a I seem to have spent less time in town going out on Saturday nights than most of us. But when I did, our, our evenings would often end up in Chicago's. And. I remember getting to that point of you've had too many, you've had too, you feel a bit bloated with beers. You're probably trying to chat some girls up and, you know, who knows, they're playing Europe, the final countdown. You're going to go out and have a, a bit of a dance <laughs> or whatever. You know, the, the night is, you know, it, it's, you know, life didn't, doesn't get any better. At least you may have thought in your inebriated state at that point. So it'd be time for a short. <laughs> so my short became a taboo and lemonade. Oh, taboo and lemonade. But Mike, yeah, not a... I have no idea what Mirage tasted like, but I was just like, it was the first one I saw as the panic went up. He was, I was being served. I had to make a decision that I had no idea about. Yep, taboo and lemonade. And I stuck with it for, well, probably that six months or however long I was going out and having those sort of nights. Right. Okay. So this is one you've actually drank yourself out in Chicago's. Yes. Probably at the same time as um, Andy, actually. He'll be having a sizzling platter and interviewing Kevin Wilson. And you'll be down there with your taboo and lemonade. <laughs> yeah, there would have, there, you know, there would have been media royalty there. There would have been mere plebs elsewhere. <laughs> but I've got a, no one ever went in uh, Chicago's to pull a woman of their own age. It was always grab a granny in Chicago. So let's that, not pretend that you were pulling people your own age, Martin, because that never happened in Chicago's. Let's move swiftly on to Ian, who... Obviously, he's a gourmet chef. We all know that. I had a long stint at uh, Beacon Bingo, making the Beacon Beaky Burger, Chicken Burger. But he also, no doubt, knows how to make a mean sort of spirit and soft drink mixer, especially being Spanish himself. He knows his way around Calimocho. So, Ian, what would, what would you go with, mate, if you're going to mix these two things together? Hi Tom. Um, okay. I think I'd do, I think I'd go old school. I think I'd just go for a Burke's Fizz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is it breakfast time? <laughs> yeah, and I and I can see myself drinking one of these on the safe standing fan ownership terrace on the day we take over uh, Northampton Town, and uh, yeah. and we're celebrating promotion <laughs> to, um, to the championship. Uh, uh, okay, nice one. And like. Remember, it's not going to be called Northampton Town anymore. It's going to be called Northampton Red Bull MK Saints. So, wow. <laughs> tell you what, I couldn't have Red 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 Bull and um, what was it everyone used to have? Red, vodka and Red Bull. Oh my God, you have one of them. I remember I used to have one of them. I'd be up at like ten in the morning. Caffeine levels in those ridiculous. That's so true. But you can't talk Red Bull down because it's shakes who are introduced now. Jake Moore's back. Jake Moore is a huge fan of Red Bull, wants him to take over Cobblers. Hello. Destroy everything we know about Cobblers, isn't that right, Jake? I think it's the uh, only way forward at this point um, mm. is to get Red Bull on board, change the colour of the kit, 
change the badge could could be called Red Bull Shoes. Um, <laughs> I think yeah, and, and we'll fly up the leagues. Like I, like, I I'm I, I'm now and I was I was pro fan ownership until I saw what's happening at Red Bull Leipzig, and I was like, you know what, this could be us. You know, a little bit more of selling. If you've already sold your soul, then what's you know, no one could buy it again, can they? So it's fine. You can only sell yourself once. So you can only happens. sell yourself once. So we've, and as cobbler sands, we've sold it probably five times at this point. So <laughs> there's no issues in getting Red Bull on board, in my opinion. So would your would your would your drink uh, of choice, alcoholic drink, mixer of soft drink or whatever, would that involve Red Bull? Would you just uh, as um, an ambassador for Red Bull, um, it would just be Red Bull. Unfortunately, if I could maybe mix um, one type of Red Bull with another type of Red Bull. Um, okay. and have it in just one like not even like maybe you get like a sort of like a vase like Brian Potter had in Phoenix Nights and pour <laughs> so maybe pour like full full fat Red Bull in and then a oh, diet yeah. and then a diet Red Bull that's a good and one then, and um, when it comes to kickoff I'll be out of control so um... <laughs> <laughs> you are you've just said you just said that you are the ambassador for red bull and i can't really argue with that to be fair you know what i mean bring them on board i'm making uh, i'm making an appeal now i know he listens to the podcast the uh the ceo of uh, the red bull organization come and yeah. get us come and get us david cardoza was said he was an antiques dealer so i think you can say that you're the ambassador for red bull and no one can actually complain and actually look into it so i'm, a, I'm an energy I'm, I'm an energy drinks dealer you know what i mean so get it's time to it's time come and get us i, I wish i knew his name i should have <laughs> i should have done a most basic level of research if i was going to try and sell the club but mr red mr red bull if you're my, listening my my, I... my my phone i've cleared all my lines on my phone i'm ready to take the call just make that i'll broker the deal and i'll take a million quid off the top for myself obviously as is the way in football brokerage okay. let's get it done yeah. You've always been a bit mad about that taurine, haven't you, Jake? So you know what I mean. You you live for the taurine. I love for taurine. I love I, I love it. I live for it. I do think red Red Bull tend to go like you know they're at the you know be it be it football, Formula One, I'm sure other sports. So they're creaming off you know clubs nearer the top. Would we not be more I don't know Toro Rosso in town or um, Relentless Monster. Northampton? Yeah. Monster. <laughs> like, you know you you kind of. Not your tier one, but maybe your tier three. What's well, uh, the and, oh, like the, the the Asda brand, like Blue Charge? Yeah, yeah exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. The Blue Charge cobblers, but no, That'd no. Been better for you, so, Mr. Red Bull. Yeah, just so, just you know, I'm still fully 100% Red Bull. I don't drink any other diff- other energy drink. I would also take a sponsorship as well, just to let you know if it <laughs> means I'm covering my bills. Hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that Jefferson Lake. We've gone far too much down the road of uh, Red Bull sponsorship with um, Jake, Mr. Red Bull Ambassador. I hope Jefferson Lake can come up with a drink that's going to be palatable of if, alcohol and soft drinks mixed together. Come on, Jefferson, what have you got? If you're relying on me to restore some sort of order to the conversation, then you're going to be very sorely disappointed, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, I, I like that Jake's doing a, a come and get me plea to the to the Red Bull people because much like Martin, when I would go on to uh, shorts, Back in my younger days, I was very much uh, delivering a come and get me plea to the ladies of Northampton, whether I was being the road mender or <laughs> oh, Madison's or somewhere. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, that's Madison. a lovely image for you. Um, 
yeah, like everyone, uh, you, you go on to shorts, don't you, after you've had uh, enough beer, which for me uh, these days is about four pints. Uh, back then was about six pints. And my drink of choice then would have been Jack Daniels and Coke to the point where I have now ruined Jack Daniels and Coke. You know, everyone's got a drink they ruined and they can't drink anymore. So I've ruined Jack Daniels in the late 90s. But I did um, I did try to kind of invent a, a, a unique spirit and mixer combination, which I tried to make happen for a bit. Uh, and my friends still take the piss out of me because I ordered this drink in the King Billy once. And it's probably the least likely King Billy drink you'll ever hear. And the drink is Aftershock and Coke. Oh, man. Have you ever had a, have you ever had a delicious Aftershock? Now, Aftershock, I really like the taste of Aftershock. It's got like this kind of cinnamon, sugary cinnamon taste, which okay. I really like. So if you have it with a bit of Coke in it, it's actually quite a delicious drink. Oh. So maybe we shall I, shall I log this. off? Shall I come off the call now? Have I disappointed you? So yes. <laughs> the fast have Coke and red wine, and and you're going for aftershock and and Coke. We can yeah. market this to some sort of other sort of uh, minority group in one of those countries. You know, <laughs> the breath time can go with. Next time, yeah. Next time you're out, give it a go. Aftershock and Coke. You'll never look back. Okay, yeah, you probably won't be able to look straight ahead either. No, you, <laughs> you right. look anything. So that, that's my, my that's one, my thing. My one sort of links into Andy's, like when you went round to your mate's house and their parents were away and used to like raid the, the drinks cabinet, but there mm. wasn't actually drinks there. And this was something that we actually had and it was very abject. It was whiskey and Dr. Pepper. And it was oh, like... Oh, sounds quite nice. Oh, man. Mm. It's, it's bad. It's bad. Like after one or two, you know, you're like after a few... It's one of those ones that's so sickly sweet and it don't end up, it doesn't end up well. I'm, I'm trying to think of a name for it. You know, you need a name. Sort of Aftershock name. And, and Dr. Pepper. This is a forum for perverts. That, that'd be nice. <laughs> if you have um, an amaretto and Coke, that tastes like Dr. Pepper. Yeah. So it's whiskey and Dr. Pepper. And um, the surely name I've come up with is... Surely it's Dr. Whiskey. No, no. I've come up with the incompetent doctor. That's my name for it. Because I was going to go for like the killer doctor, but then I thought it sounds a bit like Harold Chipman. It's taking it too far. Kenny Duca's oh. favourite drink. Perfect. <laughs> Kenny Duca. The good the doctor. Kenny Duca. Ah, oh, the Kenny Duca. That's a good one. Yeah. So uh, next time you're at completely at a wit's end and at a very low point, you know, when you reach for the Dr. Pepper and whiskey, it's got to be like a really cheap ass whiskey as well. Like a terrible one. But, um, next time we're on the train to Dagenham away, we can all have a Kenny Duca. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> that, that, that sounds pretty well, Go to the bar with the prescription. Um, yeah, let's move on from this, these sort of crazy, terrible drinks and the Kenny Dukas to a bit of football chat. Because it's actually funny. I, I think it was Ian sent, sent us a little text of um, people on the hotel end reacting to this news of Charlie Good. Uh, departing for Brentford and it was almost in the style of someone had died and you know we, we uh, Ian can you explain how this was expressed <laughs> this, this oh, yeah no it's, it was um, yeah good luck Charlie you'll be missed forever in our hearts and I just <laughs> made the comparison <laughs> made the comparison to, the, to Northampton's own Princess Diana it was, it was he really was in the hearts wasn't he Charlie it, it, it wasn't it was yeah, yeah it was a bit sort of like it he, he ain't really died has he he's gone to Brentford you know what I mean and actually and actually a bit like a bit like Princess Diana's wedding when there was three of us in this marriage there was three centre-halves as well you know 
you had Charles Camilla <laughs> and Diana, and you had Scott Ward, <laughs> Jordan Turnbull. It, make, it makes you want to put thing. an in, inflatable um, Klingon down at the gates of the uh, of <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen that Stuart Lee sketch? Yeah, I know it well, yeah. That's, that is a real niche reference, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Because you could have, you know, like you were talking about your tea towel to put to um, like drain your drink through, Andy. You could have a Charlie Good um, tea towel, couldn't you? Like, be like, you get the Princess Diane, Prince Charles ones. Sell it in the club shop, a bit like those beach towels that were going around a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon we could have, you could have, do you remember like you always look in the back of like the uh, Sunday Mirror magazine or something, there was always the ornamental plates, weren't there? And it would be like Charles and Diana or something like that. You could have one, you could have Charles, and, you could have Charlie Good on there, uh, Forever in Our Hearts, Northampton's Rose, you know, Billy. <laughs> Uh, you just have a you probably would just have like a big poppy on there just for the sake of it I mean I think that would sell really well that would go down an absolute treat along with the um, other plants they sell in the um, top shop but uh, I think one <laughs> serious point about the, uh, the the transfer and quite a nice thing actually is that he's donating some of the money we do to uh, the Cobbler the Academy which is pretty nice and um, right then I'm Pleased to be joined on the line by our regular tactical uh, analyst, Gabriel Sutton of Football Lab. He's going to talk to us a little bit about Charlie Good's transfer to Brentford. Do you think it was an interesting move, Gabriel? Yeah, um, I mean, we've mentioned um, the possibility of him going to Middlesbrough beforehand. That that was one of the clubs he was linked with. And I think Burrow and Neil Warnock might have suited him slightly better, in my opinion. There's there's contrasting takes, really, on on what Charlie Good's ceiling is, not just as a defender. I mean, we know why. I think we know that he can be a very good championship defender in terms of the basics, in terms of heading balls away, in terms of putting blocks and putting his body on the line. We know he's very good at that. I think uh, because he's playing in a, a direct Keith Curl team, it's harder to judge how good he's going to be on the ball. I think a lot of cobblers would say that's not one of his strengths. The stats and a guy called Jake at um, Blades Analytic would probably say um, the stats say he's, he's good on the ball or, or certainly has the potential to be. Um, from where I'm sitting, I think jumping up two divisions, uh, especially to a team with promotion aspirations, is a big ask. And I think it's an even bigger ask going into a team that plays a completely different style. So I don't think I don't expect him to play much at Brentford, but I think uh, when he does play, I think he he'll have his work cut out. I think that's a that's a fair analysis. First of all, you know we've got to say though it's, it's just a really good transfer from uh, Keith Cole's mm-hmm. perspective, um, bringing him in from Scunthorpe where he was out in the cold, moulding him into a, a you know a captain and a player that really push cobbles onto a promotion a fantastic achievement and to sell him on for you know whatever the the transfer fee was it was undisclosed but you know if it is the rumored one million pound mark that's a fantastic deal but um in terms of sort of charlie good's ability for any brentford fan listening there'll be a, there'll be a few um i think you're right in that i think it's a gamble to an extent although brentford are a fairly you know well funded club it, it's a bit of a gamble to take a player who comes from a, a very direct side uh, and and we don't we're not really sure about his ability on the ball because cobblers you know bless them haven't played much football under Keith Carr there's been a lot of direct play a lot of um, long ball game and getting the ball f- from back to front 
very quickly. So we don't really know his ability on the ball. And as you say, that step up from League Two to the Championship is is quite quite a huge one, really. Um, he could struggle to an extent at Scunthorpe in League One, lost a bit of confidence. Um, fans were on his back there. So, you know, there are there are question marks there. Um, if you look at the statistics, I thought they were quite interesting. I've I often use the website whoscored.com for some statistics. They're quite well, uh, sort of easy to to read and well presented. Um, look at Brentford's stats. They had played with a lot of possession in the championship. I think they were the third highest for possession in the championship as a percentage, third highest pass completion in the championship and third highest short passes per game in the championship. So they know how to kick the ball when they need to. Whereas if you look at Northampton for this season, we were the 21st lowest possession in League Two. So that is out of 24 teams, quite significant. And out of 24 teams, 23rd, so second bottom lowest pass completion in League Two. So although the stats are pointing in good favour in terms of his individual play in that team, is he going to be able to hit the ground running with a you know championship level football? Would, would you say that would be a concern for you too? Yeah, possibly. I think it, what kind of helped him with your lot is, um, you know, when he went to Scunthorpe, I think he was at Hendon where he started his career and then he, um, Hendon must have been around the seventh or eighth tier at the time he moved and then he went to League One. So you're looking at a jump of maybe four or five divisions. Uh, I think that was a big ask and, and clearly he didn't have the best time of things at Scunthorpe. I think a lot of Iron fans don't particularly uh, rate him and, um, and, I think maybe what helped him was actually rather than jumping up sort of four or five divisions, actually dropping down a division. So um, the the level of League Two was kind of um, more um, a bit easier to 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 sort of adjust to, I suppose, because he's kind of going down a division rather than jumping up several. Um, but again, I, so again, I think I would be looking at maybe another shot, either another shot if he's going to change style go to a possession-based League One side rather than a possession-based championship side, or if he's going to make that jump of two divisions, at least go into a side that's going to suit uh, something similar to how he's played with yourselves. I mean, the other issue as well, if I'm not mistaken, he's played um, in the middle of a back three for yourselves. Yeah. Um, with Brentford, um, they look like they're going to go 4-3-3 next season. It's been their, their staple um, formation last year. So how is he going to adjust to um, a different sort of role as well? So um, a lot of changes for him in lots of different ways. Um, he might adjust well, but I'm just not quite convinced. Yeah, but they're, they're all good points, and I completely sort of concur with all of them. Um, but let's not be too negative. He, he has... Um... He's progressed really well and he's he, he has earned the move. Um, I think Brentford, I've watched Brentford a few times last season, they're quite hot on their set pieces and they scored quite a few goals with high set pieces and Goodwill provided the aerial threat for set pieces and he's very um, clever with his movement. So that's that's a real bonus for them. Um, yeah. He is a real sort of physical specimen. He's, he's sort of coming a lot. He, he looks like a, a real athlete and he's, you know, tall and he possesses all the, you know, the physical attributes, I think. Maybe slightly lacking in pace to an extent at the, you know, top, top level. But um, he's got he's got a, a few things going for him and I can see why Brentford looked at him. And let's face it, Brentford have got very good scouting network. So they would have crunched the numbers and they would have put a lot of thought into it. So, you know, they obviously see a bit more progression than Charlie Good, would you say? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Brentford are probably, in terms of recruitment, in terms of structure, in terms of making the right decisions, Brentford are one of the teams that I would trust the most. So I almost feel um, a little bit foolish, you might say, for sort of arguing with them and saying it it might not be a good signing or doubting them. But that's just kind of how I see Charlie Good. Um, I think you make a good point about the set-piece threat. And I think um, obviously the Bees have your reputation for being a sort of tidy possession-based side. Um, maybe they've Thomas Frank, who's their current head coach, has tried to make them more adaptable. I think under Dean Smith, they were a little bit lightweight, a little bit open defensively, um, mm. which is why defenders like Jack O'Connell, who are doing brilliantly in the Premier League now, were kind of left a little bit open um, in his time uh, there under Smith. Frank has kind of made them a bit tighter and made them more effective at sort of um, dealing with the defensive phases of play. He's added a bit of physicality there. Um, Ethan Pinnock would be a good example. They've signed him from Barnsley. But again, I think we knew Pinnock has, um, can sort of ping a pass with his left foot. He's got we, we knew that from his time at Barnsley. And that was just a one-division jump for, for him. With good, he's obviously jumping two divisions. So uh, I think Brentford are looking to add a little bit of physicality to their side. They've done that to some extent over the last uh, year or two. Um, but I, again, it just is a bit of a jump in comparison with someone like Pinnock. But again, he's going to be a fringe player, so probably not someone that's going to be expected to play uh, week in, week out. And Moby, he's right-footed, isn't he good? So he's probably someone that's going to stand in for Pontus Janssen when, when Janssen's maybe injured. Yeah, he could he could have been signed as a, a squad player. We don't know. I think he's been given the number four squad number, which is not typically given to a, a starter. You know, it's a fairly strong starting number four. But um, yeah, I think I think in general, like a, a general summary of, of the signing is, it's not an easy translation from Northampton to Brentford, and the well from the tactical point of view, from the that's um, just a style of play. And, you know, just the sheer quality of football in League Two, you know, uh, it, quality hasn't been great, in my opinion, in, in League Two this season. Northampton, let's face it, would we have even made the playoffs if uh, the season had finished, come to a head? We were, you know, uh, going head to head with Port Vale, we were nipping at our heels. So basically, we've, we've been, been promoted, but we technically could have ended up a, a ninth place, eighth place, whatever, yeah. uh, team in League Two. Um, the stats aren't particularly possession base for Northampton so it's not the easiest translation but I guess we have to say that he deserves he deserves a move you can see why Brentford have gone for him in terms of maybe looking for that physicality and to try add a bit more killer instincts to try and you know finally get that promotion so it's not an easy fit but you know we wish him we wish him well and I think as a sort of an outside observer for um, League Two you've, you've really sort of been impressed by good his overall um sort of attributes and his impact on Northampton this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I watched the uh, the Morecambe game in January. Um, I mean, I thought he was probably one of your best players in that one in four-one win. Um, I think you'd have to put him among the the top centre backs uh, in League Two this season. Mm. So yeah, he's had a fantastic season. And and although I've sort of been slightly sceptical about whether he's quite Brentford's level, um, you know, on a sort of I suppose human note, you'd say I'm I'm really pleased for him that he's got this opportunity because he's um, you know. Obviously, you know, he's not come through a kind of an elite academy or anything. He's come through at Hendon. He's really worked hard for this chance to come to, to come to a club with uh, Premier League ambitions. So from a sort of human perspective, I'm really pleased for him that he's got that move. Thanks for um, taking the time to talk to me. And it's uh, always, a, always a pleasure. So we'll speak again soon. Yeah, cheers, Tom. Take care, mate.
all the best. Thanks a lot. Bye. I think there's a point to be made about the continuity thing that we talked a lot about, uh, you know, previously on the podcast, and that yeah, it's all, all well and good that Keith Carroll signs a new contract, and we're pleased there's continuity there. But it seems like pretty within itself in terms of team being ripped up. I think ten players have left um, that were sort of integral to that success last season. Ian, what do you think about in terms of the continuity of it? Or are, you, are you concerned about that, or is it just something you know? Um, well, I think as long as the club progresses, you know, if you lose your, if you lose your, you know, captain and your, and your, your best player, um, in any circumstances, you want it to be when you've got promoted and you want to get a good fee for him. So that's good. And I, I, th- I always think that, you know, if you're going to lose someone, well, at least we did it in the process of going up and we can kind of build again. It's interesting as well that we got him from Scunthorpe because, they're quite well known. I know they were a few years ago, weren't they? Of signing players um, on the cheap and then selling them for a big profit. And this, this is one that they've clearly like let go away. But I mean, I remember hearing that uh, their chairman, he had inside inside Scunthorpe in the uh, in the inner sanctum on the in the corridors. There used to be pictures on the walls, and it would have like their pictures of these players that he'd signed, and it'd actually have the price on there. I mean, it was Billy Sharp. He's st- Signed him for a hundred and something thousand, didn't he, from Sheffield United, and sold him back to them for over a million. And you know they weren't, yeah. they weren't, uh, they weren't um, sort of making them undisclosed fees. They were announcing that to the world to show what good business went. So again, I don't really, I don't want to go on about the undisclosed fee fee um, too much. But I think it is important to fans like we want to know, don't we? Like we've been talking about who's going to be the first million pound cobbler since like Christian Lee. That was 20 odd years ago. Wouldn't it be nice to have actually been told like we've finally done it, but yeah. it's just, it's, it's a bit disappointing that, that, I mean, it's, it's pretty much common knowledge as well. So I don't really get that argument about, um, yeah. the, the, you know, I mean, I was listening to Radio Northampton today. Their sports reporter didn't even say, so, you know, supposedly 1.5 million with, with add-ons. He just said uh, he's gone for 1.5 million, He's gone for for a deal that's worth 1.5 million with add-ons, but you know, I mean, that's, it's very good business. It's very good business from the club. It's nice that we've actually, you know, it's it's a really good deal. And then I maybe maybe we should speak to the league about making everything undisclosed. I mean, I'm not saying like keep our league position secret, but maybe now the games are going to be behind closed doors. Perhaps what they could do if we lose heavily next season against Sunderland, you you go North Korea style and just put the result on lockdown. Don't put a, put a gagging order on all the reporters there, and just just have James Hennigan say, um, "Yeah, Cobblers Cobblers v uh, Ipswich was undisclosed. It's believed Cobblers lost lost heavily, but not as not as heavily as they did last week." And then you could show where we are in the league, and you could censor like goals for, against, losses, wins, draws, and you could just say censored across there. Just, that's just a thought. That's perfect, Jake. Uh, I'm going to twist on his head, turn on his head a little bit. Uh, so you do, like, what do you think of the cobblers? Oh, this is a good, big question. But cobblers fan psyche, right? I find it quite interesting that it's almost a buzz for cobblers fans who sell a player for a million pounds it's and that but we've lost the a key player like would you rather like the money go to a bank account for a player and you know celebrate us getting a big fee jake or would you would you rather just keep the player itself and you know have a good player on the books we don't see the money do we well i've um since my last uh, appearance on the podcast i was taken away for re-education 
Um, and uh, <laughs> I now believe that the money should be uh, kept secret. I don't think we as supporters have any right to know how much we've received. Okay. Um, and uh, I think, you know, it's his club. He can do what he wants of it, quite frankly. And I think anyone who disag- disagrees with me or any of my fellow Cobbler supporters are left-wing scum. So um, that's, Tom, my, that's my opinion. Can I, Tom, can I just interject here? Isn't it refreshing to have someone on this podcast who understands business? <laughs> it, it, it is, to be fair. <laughs> it, it, it is, because it is, so many people don't understand business these days, and football really is a business, so we really need to understand business to understand the business of football. <laughs> In my opinion, this is the best one yet. If you haven't got an MBA, you should be talking about football. So uh, we'll we'll screw on that account. Um, let's talk to someone, hopefully, that knows a little bit about business and a little bit about how this sort of thing works. Because um, just I sort of chuckled to myself when I read the. I said actually a couple of weeks ago that <laughs> the figure will be undisclosed, uh, but it will be dressed up as a or you know presented as a uh, record fee and that's how it turned out but then you've got the line thought to be in the region of 1.1 million to 1.5 million now i could think that he was sold for nine million pound and you know a sticker book collection of 50p lil uh, plus you know <laughs> plus 15 calamachos you know I, I can think what i like so if the if Jeff, if the deal is undisclosed, it's undisclosed. So this rumour and sort of conjecture about thought to be, what weight does it actually have? What weight does thought to be a million pound actually have? I would say that would depend entirely on who said it. And I think in this case, the person who has said that is James Hennigan, who I would definitely trust to have the right information on that. So I think you can uh, take it to the bank as it were, that it is, a mi- I think it's a million down, isn't it? And then and then bits and pieces. Um, where, where he's got that from, it may well be that someone from the club has just told him that's the amount. It might well be that, um, you know, he knows Charlie Good's agent and he's told him or he knows someone at the Brentford end and they've told him. The undisclosed thing will have been agreed between the two clubs. So they yeah. will have both had to have, had to have agreed to that. And obviously the Cobblers do have a track record of that. Um, this undisclosed fee replaces their previous transfer record, which was also undisclosed, of course, from Mark yeah. Bunn. But I mean, even with the Bunny one, everyone knew how much roughly he had gone for, didn't they? Um, so these, it's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because what is the value in not announcing the transfer fee? Really? Yeah. Because I mean, we've said before, haven't we, that um, certainly when I was covering the club, there was a school of thought that you don't want the club you're then looking to buy players from or, you know, players you're recruiting as free agents to know that you've suddenly got loads of cash and they might suddenly from going from saying, I'll sign for a grand a week now saying, well, I want 1400 a week or something like that, you know, because they yeah. know you've got a million pounds in your pocket. Um, yeah. So, but again, within the game, that stuff is, is, is definitely known. We could probably talk all night about where this information actually comes from. So, there's no there's no definitive answer about where the information comes from to, to, to back up this line thought to be. And if there is going to be information put out there that's thought to be, just disclose just disclose the transfer fee. When Brentford come calling, people know that Brentford uh, back their their manager with good transfer fees. So it's it's not 
I don't think it, it, it sort of achieved anything. Not sure. Um, there, may, there may have been value in, in the kind of don't let people you know come into money because negotiations are ongoing 30 years ago. Um, yeah. It's, we're in a connected world now. So it's mm. not like the cobblers, you know, cobblers in discussions, loads of, loads of free agents and no doubt with clubs right now. Those people will probably know that Charlie Goode was going to go somewhere and for a decent amount of money. They are, you know, whoever's doing negotiates the fees, you know, say, I don't know, say we're talking to Shrewsbury about a striker or, you know, Cheltenham about a centre half or something. No one's going to go in and say, oh, oh yeah, that, I see that Charlie Goode went. Yeah, we got 50 grand for him. Um, tell you what, we'll up, up, up that offer from 20 to 25 grand. It's, yeah. you know, we're much more connected now. I, I can't think of any good reasons that, that fees are undisclosed. And I, you know, I, I think in a matter of principle, just on our openness and transparency, then they never should be. I did read, and I could be wrong here, but it was Brentford asked for it to be undisclosed. Maybe because from their point of view, they they didn't want to give things away on how much they had to spend or were willing to spend. So we'll see. But I think it's a not it's a bit of a, a throwback to a pre-internet age. Mm, I just I just I was trying to piece together what our record fee received is right. But notwithstanding the thought to be business, which I'm still cynical about. So if you if you actually go back and you look online, you Google Northampton Town record fee received, the only real concrete information you get goes back to 1987, Richard Hill's transfer to Watford, which is 265,000. Uh, I think the Rothmans football yearbook up to about 2000, maybe after that, was, was quoting the Richard Hill uh, transfer. So after that, I can think of two big transfers um, feel free to interject. Uh, Morley and McGoldrick went for a little less, both didn't they? Um, yeah, but but after that, you had uh, Mark Byrne, who was undisclosed. Yeah, and you had Ivan Tony. Luke, Luke, Cham- Luke Chambers was undisclosed. Um, Gabor Jeepers was undisclosed. Right. Um, who else? Michael Jacobs was undisclosed. So when sure you- the word was on Jipesh that it, uh, uh, which I think was the pronunciation. I'm sure some Hungarian connected me when I. Call- I'm sure the word was that was 750 grand, which again seemed like a really good bit of business. Someone you got on a word, free. The word, mine, this is the word, but they're all undisclosed. So yes. if you're trying to build yeah, a picture of what the speculation. Record, if you're trying to build a, a picture of what the cobbler's record fee received is, it's it goes back to 265 for Richard Hill. So you could have sold you could have sold Mark Byrne for 280,000, and you could have sold, not that I, I think this is right, but potentially you could have sold Charlie Good. And that would still be a record fee. So there's still no clear picture. And it goes back to what Andy said. What and what Ian said is the, the Christian Lee thing. We still don't know if there's a million pound transfer there. It could be. It, it might not be, you know, in terms of because it's un, it is literally undisclosed. So I, I guess we'll never know. But there was a time where they weren't um, particularly, what's the word I'm looking for, sheepish about transfer fees, spending yeah. them, I mean. You know, they, they announced to the world that they broke the record fee. Uh, the transfer record to sign Josh Lowe, £165,000. When they bought Kirk, the rumour was that they'd paid Boston 100000 for him. Uh, so I said to Colin Calderwood, is it hundred grand?" And shall I attempt the accent? Where, what do yeah, we think? You've said it before. You've said it before. Okay, I'll, I'll attempt it. So I said, is it hundred grand?" And he said, it's hundred grand." If Northern, uh, basically saying that, basically saying there were loads of add-ons if for it to be a hundred grand. But how Calderwood said it was, 
it's a hundred grand if Northern Ireland win the World Cup and Andy Kirk wins a golden boot. <laughs> so it's basically loads of add-on criteria would have to have been met for it to be a hundred grand. Uh, that, was, that was his way of saying it, saying it on the record, which I thought was quite nice. I think you should just do the pod forevermore doing as the voice of Colin Calderwood because it's. Uh... <laughs> he, he wouldn't like appreciating aftershock and coke. Uh, no, he would. Just introduce Colin Calderwood as next week's guest, and yeah. Jefferson Lake is unavailable this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as good as your other Colin, Colin Calderwood story. He swore at you, didn't he? Because he, he did swore at me. Nice thing, wasn't it? Sean Dyche, sorry. very bad swears as well on a previous episode <laughs> in the archive. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we'll 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 um. We'll see how the Charlie Good thing plays out with the theory. I'm not going to, you know, hold my breath about hearing what the actual figure is or it's sort of been officially announced. But you know, there we go. Um, there's been a bit just to move on. There's been a bit of uh, we won't talk about it for too long, but there's been a bit of a sort of an update from the Supporters Trust about the uh, la- I'm starting. I've just started calling it the land deal now because it's not just a redevelopment. There's a, a land deal being discussed between uh, Kevin Thomas, David Barr, and the, the council. I'm going to go into it too much, but um, basically the trust came out of a very lengthy statement, which I won't read too much into. But basically, they've said that the um, they've spoken to the had a meeting with the, the borough council, and in their words, the matter of a land deal and the redevelopment continues to be deadlocked. Um, that they said that Northampton Borough Council position is that there is no prospect of a deal being reached by September, which has been mentioned by the football club. And uh, further, the trust were advised that there may be insurmountable obstacles to achieving it. Now, the um, the club came up back with their own response, which is very polite, actually, saying that, you know, to Andy Roberts from the trust, thanks for your letter. We're pleased, pleased that you've now met with the council and received the various FRI requests. So you are comfortable that at least doing a deal of this kind is in the best interest of the club, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they want a, a Zoom meeting, which I'm... Yeah, and I'm not really sure what a new meeting is going to achieve, given the what the trusts are talking about. But at least there's some um, sort of discussion between the football club and, and the trust. But the trust statement was quite startling in talking about this deadlock. Um, what I just want to say about it really is that, and I don't know if you like echo this, that this thing with the East Stand is, it was beyond a joke a long time ago now. It's been sitting there for six years now, unfinished. Um, and it's you know I don't think the capacity of the stand is going to be improved greatly by the by it being finished maybe some boxes and stuff but you look down the road to Peterborough and they've they've just announced recently well they've, they've had this in the pipeline for a while but they're they're build they're going to build by 2023 a 9,500 capacity uh, stadium used for 200 events for a year um, based on the funny enough we're talking about Hungarians and Gabor Jupas they're, they're based not on the Ferenc Varos no, how you pronounce that? Uh, arena. Um, that was, that was a pretty good effort. That was a pretty good effort. <laughs> yeah, after Peterborough's co-owners visited Hungary. Now, you know, <laughs> Jake, we haven't. Uh, sorry, um, Jefferson, we haven't really heard your opinions too much about this thing. We really haven't sort of pressed you on anything mm. too serious regarding what. What do you make to this redevelopment thing? It probably was the, the talk of it was going on when you were at the football club, and it's still going on now. What do you, mm. what do you make? Well, um, there's probably a reason you haven't heard me much talk about it much is mainly because I don't really understand it much. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of 
I'm going to give you a really nice metaphor for this. Basically, yeah. what, what I can see is everyone involved wants to get to the same end point destination. Yeah. So we're all in this car journey together, yeah. but there's a disagreement between the adults about how we're going to get there. And I'm in the back with my earphones in just like asleep. Um, <laughs> I know that's not very helpful and um, give, give you much, which is very insightful on the debate. But it does seem to me that like everyone does want the same thing here, don't they? Everyone wants the same outcome. Um, and this is something that's, the east the, the site of the east stand as it is is massively like as as a, as a visual it's massively <laughs> depressing isn't it and it's a visual metaphor for the club really and it's yeah. i mean you even like what when was that famous chris wilder notts county interview that was november 2015 i think yeah. 20 it was the 15 16 season wasn't it and yeah. he was saying how much longer have we got to look at that stand mm -hmm. and it's and it's that's like nearly five years ago so i i mean i do get why there's massive frustration on on uh with, with all the fans and you know people connected with the trust are perhaps a bit more actively involved with it than you know your average fan which which i would probably classify myself as but everyone wants the same thing so i don't understand really why it's not happening and i'd be well up for if anyone can explain that to me why it's not happening because and like in in words of two syllables because i do find it really hard to follow a lot of the time they made it they've trusted made it very clear we won't go about this for too long and this 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 sums up perfectly in in their in statement they they, they wrote this in summary nbc's position is that there's no prospect of a deal being reached by September and further we revise that there may be insurmountable obstacles to achieving it with a major sticking point remaining the completion and financing of the stand. The Phantom Borough Council stated that the football club should bear the cost of the stand expenditure and if agreed would then unlock the wider land deal. The chief executive reported however that you as in David Barrow and Carol Thomas made it clear you will not spend any of your own money on completing the stand without the prospect of this outlay being recovered. So that seems to be the deadlock as the trust are describing it which seems reading between the line goes back to take over the football club let's let's sort of wrap let's not get too sort of into it too political but i think that the um the chairman is doing um a q a you know elsewhere um with supporters and stuff the the main point seems to be in the, the sports trust statement and until those are sort of answered and dealt with privately between the the owners the council and the trust i can't see things moving on uh, moving ahead but we'll we'll see in the you know next few weeks but i think it's important that if the listeners have got time just go and read through the trust trust statement and um it hasn't been reported widely at all i don't think the, the cron you know has reported it at all um so you know just make your own mind up read that statement and and you know see how it goes but like i said six years down the line with an unfinished stand posh striving ahead for it, it looks but, dreadful i mean it's been said elsewhere it just looks bad but even if it's even if it's finished, what what is the capacity going to be increased? What facilities are the club going to get? These are questions that haven't been answered publicly, and people are sort of losing track of. People are going, "Oh, let's finish the stand, finish the stand." What stand are we going to get as Cobblers fans? You know, it's yeah. it's mind-boggling. But I just I just I think my main thing with Cobblers fans is just think for yourself, think outside you know the box a bit, and think. Just don't don't swallow either line just go down the middle and just look at the, the facts and yeah but ripping it down and starting again is too a thing to contemplate well i don't know just, I don't know. just I, finish I, it no well you know i think i think <laughs> i think that 
the the the, the, the demolition or redesign needs to be at least costed up and just shown to the fans, you know. And at least, we, at least we'll have the information to it. But let's not get let's not get too bogged down to that. I think we need to move on to something a bit more lighthearted. And uh, uh, yeah, so we've been talked about a few things. We talked about our cult, didn't we? We talked about <laughs> who would be a, a good leader for a cult, and um, you know, without you know, I don't want to be passing expressions but A.D. Bruford is a very charismatic man who can build airplanes in the sky so <laughs> he was he was a name mentioned by um, Jefferson quite uh, convincingly but this week we're going to talk about a bit more a bit more conventional we you know we're all stuck in we're going to have a little dinner party we can invite people around now we're going to have a cobbler's dinner party uh, literally terrible and we're going to invite three cobbler's players past or present one political figure they can be dead or alive. Uh, and then one actor or actress. We'll start with, I'm going to go with you first, Andy. Who would be invited to your cobbler's dinner party? And if you can as well, what would you feed everyone? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you, you look at it and you sort of try and combine your, your favourite players uh, for sort of intangible reasons. And um, you combine that with alliteration, which I think okay. is the best way to go. Um, okay. So, yeah, for starters, you'd have pate with Peter Gleesha. Um, you then move on to um, a rare ribeye steak with with Ray Warburton. I reckon I reckon Razor would, would drill into a steak. Um, and then uh, I don't know about dessert actually. Um, I, I didn't think about that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, oh, a strawberry cheesecake with um, um, Steve Sherwood. Know, Steve Sherwood. Yes, <laughs> he, he played for the club for a while, didn't he? Get in there. Um, you would probably yeah. drop the strawberry cheesecake, though. No, and then, strawberry cheesecake with Steve Sherwood. Yeah, and then you and then you retire to the um, the drawing room and watch the box set of uh, Ray Donovan with Roy O'Donovan. By Did the way, read, um, I just have to I have to get this in because I need to share it. Um, Pate with Peter Gleisher. Pate has a particular place in my heart because I once I once met a girl, went on a date, went for a lovely pub pub lunch at the Fox and Hounds. Um, haven't we? And she, she'd never heard of pate. So we're looking at so we're looking at the menu, and she's like, "What's this pate? Pate? <laughs> pate? It's, it's pate? So what's that?" I'm so I literally found myself sort of, you know, um, so, so it was sort of a meat paste. You're planning your exit already. <laughs> I think uh, if you had to explain foie gras, that would be even worse. <laughs> yeah, but then you get, what's a duck? What's a, <laughs> what are birds? Anyway. I think uh, the Pate Repeated Glacier one was actually quite timely because um, the Abraham Amstruther column that we've been sort of printing weekly, that you did a good one that I published um, this week uh, about uh, Peter Glacier, and you were sort of like, Musing on what sort of person Peter Galicia was, and he was, um, I think, was he saying that he was uh, in his goal line? He, said he was, he was likening him to uh, the uh, Albert Camus, the uh, French philosopher, <laughs> with rather highbrow uh, uh, sort of uh, reference. Which you may maybe being a bit of a intellectual dinner party, so we'll we'll keep Peter Galicia in there. I'm not sure in real life he is anything like that, but you, know, you never know. I think that's a solid uh, dinner party. We'll go to you next. Um, Ian, who would, who would you invite to your dinner party? Um, politician, I think Bernie Sanders. He seems like quite an interesting character. 
Um, yeah. a- actor, cobblers related, is adult entertainment star from Wellingborough, Omar. Um, <laughs> I know, I know, Tom. You like, I know, Tom. You like the that, format for this um, podcast to be yeah, to be a um, a roundtable discussion format. But if you ever want to do investigative journalism, I'm quite happy to to do an in depth in, um, investigation to whether Omar is a cobblers fan. He, he lives, resides, worked, shot some of his films in in Northamptonshire. Yeah. So I would, I'd love to just quiz him over a paella prawn cocktail starter and um trifle for dessert whether or not he's ever been at, to the pts academy stadium um players wise because there's trifle in the banana uh, banana in the trifle i'm gonna have julian Allsop there and <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, are the players oh, i think i you know i felt bad theo foley passed away while, while since we've been recording this and we haven't mentioned it um you know, obviously, way before my time as a player, but he, um, he was. I was. I was. I remember when he was manager. I would say he is. When you talk about legends, I would say he is the greatest ever cobblers captain, and probably one of the biggest all-time legends. And yeah. his t- and his teammate Joe Keenan as well, who's uh, most people of that generation who are around my dad's generation who watched him say that he's probably the best player ever to play for the cobblers. Mm. So I'd have both of them. I've got that season in the Sun book uh, that uh, Mark Beasley wrote. And mm. the, subscribers, the subscribers to that book in the back, they've all all like listed their favourite player. The majority of them all say Kiernan and a handful of them say Foley. But I mean, you look at Foley's career. He, he, I think he captained the Cobblers in every division, didn't he? I mean, mm. that's some achievement. Uh, so yeah, Omar and Theo Foley together, plus what he did as a manager, you know, assistant manager at, at Arsenal. Um, so yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my that would be one hell of a dinner party, wouldn't it? Did you did you check the back of that book to see if Omar is put his favourite cobbler player in there? That would have been a surefire way to uh, work out if he's a cobbler fan. <laughs> I'm gonna start. I have been doing a lot of in depth all lockdown. I've been studying um, like Omar's work. He's, he's, you know, <laughs> yeah, and his and some of his colleagues from that era. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there is one actually filmed on on Mayfair. Um, yeah, so it's the trip down trip down memory lane um, for you know old Northampton. For that, we could put I could put it on that that Facebook group, Northampton Old Faces. Where are you? We miss you. <laughs> no it does take manual research for this, Ian. You really put your work into this particular question this is what i expect from all of you now you've got to watch uh to to, to prepare painstaking research painstaking research but the thing is though guys i've learned from kelvin thomas because when when my wife came down and checked the web history i said i can't tell you what i've been doing it's commercial sensitivity (laughs) i think that's brilliant i just want i would like to be a fly on the wall to see bernie sanders and omar having a discussion it would just be uh, fantastic. So that is that's winning it so far. I'm sorry, Andy, but that's that's winning it. Uh, and Omar, if you if you're listening, which you probably are, can you just give us a buzz and come on the podcast when you want, mate? <laughs> so, um, let's go with you, you Jake. Who, who would you invite to your copy? Right. Okay. I would do this on the fly then. So I think, as always, Paul McGregor's going to be there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's about time me and me and him had a face to face, and I showed down what better place than my own living room, you know. Um, so he can get Paul McGregor in. I think uh, Nathan Abbey, he would probably be in there as well. 
Uh, he was he was quite the goalie as well. He was uh, he was something else. Um, who else? I'm just gonna look here. Was it three players as well? Yeah, three players. Yeah. Okay, uh, probably sort of like I don't know, like a, a Sam Parkin in there, Darren Stamp, one of those two. You know, there's just <laughs> number nines who were brought into a place. Steve Alvord and never quite did it. And my, my political figure would be the. Um, the co-founder and CEO of Red Bull, uh, Dietrich uh, Mataschitz. Um, he would be, <laughs> he'd be there as well. And uh, we just um, drink red. So starter Red Bull, <laughs> main Red Bull, dessert Red Bull float. Has <laughs> that got a uh, tea towel just put in it somehow, and you separate the Red Bull out? Uh, it's it, basically what I've done. What I would have done, I, I'd have prepared some of it. I'd have made some kind of like Red Bull ice cream in the day, with, and uh, and then just dumped it in a in a floating bowl of Red Bull, and uh, and then we just and we just always just settle the scores that we've got against each other, all off our tits on taurine. We'll get our shirts off and we'll go in the garden. Sounds like a good night. That's, and can you just repeat the name of the CEO of Red Bull? It's uh, and future Cobblers chairman Dietrich Mataschitz. Okay, you must deal with him on a day-to-day basis, being the ambassador for Red Bull. <laughs> he's just called me whilst we were talking. Actually, he's uh, enjoying the podcast very much, and um, he's looking forward to coming on. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but Jeff won't be able. To, you know, Jeff, uh, wink, wink. He won't be on the podcast that week because uh, Dietrich uh, Mataschitz will be on. <laughs> Uh, okay, we'll have, so, yeah, we'll have, the, we'll have the international podcast with Colin Coldwood as well. And yeah, Colin Coldwood is a Dietrich Mataschitz, the, uh, the, the future chairman of NCFC. And Omar. Get Omar. And Omar as well, yeah. <laughs> Lord. It sounds like a much better lineup than the last, to be fair. We just let them just do their thing on there. I think Dietrich Mataschitz. Conceited squad rotation coming up. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, just listen, Jefferson. That's a, that's, that is a hard act to follow, uh, Dietrich Mataschitz and Omar. So I'm it's sorry. Uh, anyone following Jake sometimes is hard. It's a hard, it's hard act, especially Paul well, McGregor, who actually hates the cobblers, which is just uh, fantastic. <laughs> um, I was gonna, I was start during um, during Andy's. I was, I was making notes of the alliterative stuff. So I was gonna, I was gonna attempt to do just copy his idea basically. But all I could think of was a raspberry ripple with Ricky Ravenhill, and that, <laughs> that was as far as it went. <laughs> but, uh. Um, so yeah, that was that. Um, in terms of my own work, uh, I just thought that I, I just wrote down three players, the first three players I could think of. And I just think this would be a really interesting dynamic for an evening of, of great conversation. We're going to go Kevin Thornton, Ishmael oh, de Montagnac and Pedge yeah. Bojic. Oh, nice. I think you'd really, uh, it, would, it would be lively, to say the least. Um, oh, that would be a ruck, wouldn't it? You, but you've got two players in that, sorry, to interject. No, fine. You've got two players in there in Boic and Demontniak, a guy with not a huge amount of ability and a half-decent shot who made everything out of what he had, and a guy in Demontniak who had everything and made nothing of it. Yep. But well, both a red card waiting to happen in their own <laughs> different ways. Budget also, Budget also gave the best answer ever to a, well, not the best answer ever, let's be honest, a, a good answer to, we used to do like a player profiles thing. And one of the questions on it was, what is your favourite other sport? To which he said, Madonna. <laughs> and, um, and I said, I said, no, no, like, what's your favourite other sport? And he went, she's a sport. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, oh, all right, should we put like rugby league or something? Is that like an Australian in joke? Like, it must have been. It must have been. Yes. That was also when he said his he, he said his position was right stopper, which was just, uh, just means centre back on the right, as far as I could tell. Uh, so anyway, he's he's definitely in. Um, the political figure I'm going to go for Northampton's finest, Charles Bradlaugh, who. Oh. Uh, is obviously a big, uh, li- literally a big figure in the town. There's a statue of him and a pub, which you know, mm. can't say that about too many people. And actor, I've gone um, another Northampton legend, and uh, Ian will be a huge fan of this selection, is uh, our own Leslie Joseph, who, of course, was Dorian in Birds of a Feather. Spurs fan, though, Leslie Joseph. Oh, yes, because we all get though. Why do yeah. all like actors that come from Northampton don't actually support cobblers? Like Matt Smith, the Doctor Who, he supports Blackburn Rovers. Like, what, what the hell is going on? Yeah, you, yeah. you grow up though. You go to university. You you get hooked at different times, don't you, in your life? Yeah, he's obviously it's, got. I, I don't think I don't I don't feel they they owe us anything. It's like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's much better. I'm gonna uh, I'll quickly go through my my cobblers dinner party. Um, the first one who I think is, he's, he's, I've spoken to him at length and he, he, he used the C word. I've had some really funny stories and interesting stories about him. Uh, Paul Hubert's a Danish just madman who I just don't think Evan realised where he was when he was at Northampton. I think he just sort of put his, his, us in the sat-nav and turned up at Northampton. Andy Holtz told me a, a really good story about Paul, Paul Hubert's that, um, uh, you know, Stuart Gray was a manager and he was quite a, sort of a softly spoken sort of guy to an extent very intelligent guy and he, he went round the dressing room after a game we'd lost and he went right uh you know uh holty did you did you try your best in the game you know did you give it all and Holt was like yes gather yes gather and he went round the room did you did you give you know bradley johnson did you give your all and he was like yes gather and he went to paul huberts and he went paul did you give your best and he went apparently paul huberts just went to be honest gather i don't think i did <laughs> <laughs> I think your your Danish accent there is the best accent we've had yet, and I know it's a low bar. To be fair, I spoke to him for ages, and he was just up with his stories. He did the other story, and I have to bleed myself out. Where he 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 got released by a guy called Willie Donachie at um, Millwall, and he ended up in Northampton. And Bayo came from Millwall as well. And um, next time he Cobblers played um, Millwall, I think either Hubert scored, or I think he did score actually. He went. It all went quiet, and he walked past the uh, um, seating area, dugout, and he went, "Take that, Donnie, you!" Completely <laughs> 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 silent. And I'm like, he just told me the story, like off the bat, and I was like, "Oh man!" So this, so Paul Hubert would just be a good character. Wouldn't that have been better behind closed doors, where everyone would have heard it, and you couldn't have bleeped it out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the next the next person I'm going to invite is Ryan Gilligan, who. You know, I spoke to again, really sort of erudite guy, really just considered, you know, a bit, he called himself a hothead when he was younger, but, you know, intelligent, he's an architect, so it'll bring a bit of, uh, you know, sort of interesting chat to the uh, conversation. And then the last one, I'm just going to go with Dean Trot. <laughs> Dean, Dino Trot. Dino Trot, Trot, Trot. Exactly, because we can just get drunk and sing that song at him. Just, yeah, just, he'd, he'd enjoy that. I think that's if we do maybe do that another day. Um, the best ever cobblers fan chance, Dino, Dino yeah. trot trot that's to uh, feeling hot hot hot. It's got to be up there, isn't it? Uh, particularly useless players, I remember, but you know. So he'd be my third cobblers player. The politician, 
I'm going to go for is uh, Huey P. Newton. He's not a politician, he's a political oh, figure. Good shout. Leader of the Black Panther Party for self-defence. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a badass guy. He was. A, you need to really read about the Black Panthers in the 60s in America. I just didn't take no no rubbish. And uh, we'll just really be able to like sort of re-educate us all at the, the, the table about... Uh, Standing up for ourselves, not taking any rubbish, which I think Cobblers fans are not particularly good at. So we'll have Huey P. Newton in there. And then for the actor, I'm going to go for Stephen Graham from... Nice. Uh, this is England. Who, yeah. Did you, have you seen this England in the films he's been in? He was in Line of Duty as well, wasn't he? Well, Mate, I, I, had a dr- I had a dream about uh, with Stephen Graham in it two nights ago. No word of a lie. Oh my god! Is that after he gets his float slit on Line of Duty? I've been rewatching Line of Duty. Oh, spoilers, you know. I think Stephen Graham would be good at a dinner party because he's, he's he's a bit of a character. He can. Uh, he's great, isn't he? He's brilliant. Uh, didn't he play Al Capone in? Um, yeah, he did. Yeah. Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, he did. Boardwalk yeah. Empire. So yeah, I think he's a bit of a, he's a he's a good actor and he'll be able to uh, tell us a few stories. So yeah, so Martin, who, who would yours be, mate? Um. So yeah. I'll, I've had loads of scribblings out on um on on where I'm at, so um I'm kind of thinking which order I get. So I guess politician, and yeah, we're 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 all of a a, a lefty liberal thing. But I think if I had a dinner party, I'd want someone from the other side to work out where it all went pear shaped. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking Kenneth Clark as an old Tory. When it when the Tories weren't inept, it's like I'd want one of their guys who's like quite quite sensible and seems like good company okay. but on the other hand if i wanted fun and someone i was like who'd inspire me it'd be alexandria ocasio cortez okay so there's not many things you're going to choose between those two people but either of those i reckon would add something to a dinner party okay actor wise really simple for me the question is who is the current doctor who so the answer is jodie whittaker Okay. And then for for cobblers, I've so many crossings out here. (laughs) But I've started (laughs) with players you love and players who are intelligent, who you perhaps didn't realize at the time. Bobby Barnes. Yeah. PFA. PFA on education. Proper good guy. And when we signed him from Bournemouth for 70 grand. I remember seeing his first game on the Tuesday night. I think, oh my heavens above, this guy's got some skills. Yeah, I got sold off cheap to to Posh and what have you. And there were some disgraceful songs about him, Cobblers fans. Um, but it's like, yeah, he was a quality player and seems like a real interesting guy. The next one is just based on me driving somewhere or other where we're playing on a Tuesday night away from away. And I was listening to the radio commentary. And Marco Gabbiadini was doing it. So we were doing somewhere we were doing somewhere around York where he lives. And he described something about putting the ball in the box. And he said very softly spoken. As he, you know, he got a northern accent, but he's quite soft spoken. It's all that that's the, I would say dancing corner. He would have said dancing. He said, that's a dancing corner. That's where you get paid. About strikers going in for stuff. And I was like, that was a really like simple way of saying something that 
could be full of aggression, everything was like that. That's what you do. And I'm like, I want to meet that guy. I want to I want to have a couple of beers with him and a couple of mm. courses. He runs a hotel as well, Danny, so he probably yes. knows a little bit. He, he, him and his missus Sorry. run a B&B. And I think a lot of cob when York were in the league, I think you'd see on Twitter, Cobblers players, Cobblers fans rather, would book in there because it'd be great if you got a chance to meet like a, a really good player. With. But the last one is a bit random. So and, it, and he was a manager rather than player. But I was going to work at our place at Brackmills and I worked there um, and it was a late shift on a on a Saturday. And my mate Kev um, O'Brien, who um, some of you will, will know, he's, he's, he's on the trust, goes, comes up, comes at the Cobblers. Um, he was running the shift that afternoon and we I mean him having a, a Saturday afternoon shift was not a it was not a tough lark. So I've um we've sat in the office and his missus is a runner. And we're having lunch that day and one of her running mates comes back and maybe about eleven o'clock. And this chap says, Well, yeah, I'll need to get I need to get going. Um and he's like, oh really? He's like, yeah, I've got yeah, I've got work in the afternoon. I said, like, what do you do? I'm the manager of Swindon Town. And it was Andy <laughs> King. Oh, <laughs> was, right, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, hell, I wish I'd have thought Bradlaw, you know, for a politician. There were so <laughs> many things we think I've played. But the thing about when Kev said, Yeah, we're having lunch, the bloke had to go to work because he's managing Swindon Town on a Saturday. That stayed with me forever through my work career, <laughs> my football, my football thing. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, someone just has to nip off to manage Swindon Town. That's a, not a bad little thing to be doing in an afternoon. <laughs> I think uh, there's some really, there's some really good ones. I, I still can't look beyond Omar and the, <laughs> the, the CEO literally. of uh, the CEO of yeah, literally CEO of uh, Red Bull. I just think and um, put Kevin Fortin in the mix and Paul Hubert. You've got yourself a winning dinner party. So I think um, um, those ones win the day. Hey, so how are you going to, um, Jake, how are you going to progress this with Red Bull? Have you got any plans to... <coughs> um, a skydive probably into their headquarters okay. when, this, when this lockdown's lifted. <laughs> um, I'm going I'm, to, I'm, I'm launching a Patreon uh, if anyone wants to sponsor me. Because this parachute's going to cost money. I can't pay for it myself. Yeah. And, it's gonna have, and when you when I when I release it, it's going to say, "Buy us red, buy us uh, Dietrich." It's going to say on it, and then I'm going to have a shirt on that that has like in brackets Northampton Town Football Club, and okay. um, I'm, gonna, I'm hopefully crash through the roof. That's my plan. Jake. Yes. Are, are there are there tiers for the Patreon subscription? What what do I need to pay to get a meet and greet? It's my um, with with me or the Red Bull. Yeah, not you. I don't care about him. Oh, you don't care about him. Uh, Just so you. For a meet and greet, well, you're going to probably have to buy, you know, um, my, uh, you know, the parachute itself. I think that's tier one. But Same like, if you, if you get like my my goggles or something like that, then you know, I'll send you a picture of me getting on the plane. Steady. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's sort of podcast. We're gonna yeah. by next week we're gonna work out if Omar is, is actually a Cobblers fan. By that point, uh, Jake's gonna have um, even though Jake is the ambassador for Red Bull, he's gonna go the extra mile by parachuting himself into the Red Bull headquarters to meet the CEO, which I forget the name of again. Jake, who was his name again? His uh, name is. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it is <laughs> the CEO's name 
is Dietrich Mateschitz. <laughs> That's it. I thought that you were the ambassador. You must know his, his name off just the top. You know, the I've had. I, I've not had a Red Bull in half an hour. I'm losing a bit of my brain power. <laughs> Jake is having a touring uh, downtown, so we're going to have to uh, wrap up the podcast on that. We're going to pray for Jake. Hopefully he survives his skydive and uh, Ian gets a uh, hold of Omar. But um, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll talk. Not literally. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> this is where it's taken a very bad taste. On that bombshell, guys. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk next week. We've we've talked absolute drivel for about an hour and a half, so it's not bad. But we'll all chat next week. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thanks for talking. Cheers, Cheers guys. Cheers. Bye. 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 Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.